Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, joined, as always, by my co-host, Ben. Hello, hello. And today we are going to talk about board games. Anyone surprised? Ben, are you surprised? A little bit, actually. Yeah? I thought we were, I thought we were going to be talking about video games. Oh, we could. Ghosts. It's ghost singular, right? I always say ghosts. I don't know what it is. You took my copy. I don't know. Ghost of Tsushima on the PlayStation. Pretty sweet. Pretty yeah, it sweet. Looks good. I'm excited to try it when I get back to New Jersey. So. Yeah, it's great because you can play it the normal way in English. You can play it the also normal way, but in Japanese with English subtitles, which is what I'm doing because with the anime and foreign movies that I watch, I like the immersion. And then the third option, which is a bit too much for me, is the Akira Kurosawa way. And Kurosawa is a very famous Japanese director from like the early mid 1900s. Like he has a movie from 1942, a, a bunch of movies in the 1950s and he is a super famous Japanese director. I would say he is the most famous Japanese director in like all of time. You can ask Patrick and he will quite likely confirm. Anyway, the Kurosawa edit of the game is in black and white and in Japanese and like kind of grainy as if you're watching a 70-year-old movie. So, you know, that seemed pretty cool, but I don't know, on my 4K TV I wanted to get more than two colors. So funny enough, that was the game mode that I thought you were talking about when you mentioned it. Oh, no, it, no. It looks, it looks, no, no, no. I mean, like when you were describing like the director, that was right. what I thought it was going to be. I actually heard in a few reviews that it's, it's cool, but not the best way to play the game because it narrows like the sound field. Right. And it, and it like feels like you're like in a tunnel is what I heard a little bit. Yeah. So it's not as, it's like, it's a totally different feel. But I actually think when I try it, I'm going to do the Japanese with English subtitles. You should. It's it great. Seems. I mean, as long as there's English subtitles and I can understand it, I'm yeah. not. I'm not like pressed to not have English like voices. Right. The immersion is great. The only issue with it is that whenever there's a close up on someone's face during a conversation, you can see that they're mouthing something in English. And then you see the subtitles uh, in Japanese, which is so it's like a mildly off-putting, right? Yeah. yeah, it's the opposite of what I'm used to. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, either way, looks like a cool game. I'm excited to get back. There have been so many games that released on the PlayStation since I have been down in Florida, and obviously, I didn't bring my PlayStation with me to Florida, which is why you have it. Um, and I want to play. Like, I'm dying to play The Last of Us Part Two. Like, I cannot wait. So. It's I'm yours excited. when you're back. Yeah, I'll, I mean, we'll figure that out when we get there, but uh, right. I'm excited either way. Yeah, and uh, anyway, board games. <laughs> yes, those uh, exist. What did you play this past week? Uh, honestly, the only thing I played this past week was Teach You. Really? Yeah. I Again, I'm boring. I'm, I'm the boring host. But uh, I'm trying to remember, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only thing. And it's probably going to be the only thing for a little while, because when I come back to New Jersey, my brother is not coming back to New Jersey yet. He's staying down in Florida. So unless we play together online, it's going to be solo gaming for me. Well, you can definitely hop on to more online games with me. Yeah. Your your schedule will probably more free, 
be more free. <laughs> yes. Uh, just a quick, just a quick an minor announcement when it comes to Ben's backings. I have no longer have a job due to COVID, so there will probably not be as many backings from me. Um, maybe the we occasional should have made a new one. segment for today. Yeah, it's okay. There's still some updates which I can talk about. But, Ben's uh, backings, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, if there's something that I'm dying to back, I mean, I will still back it, but I'm going to be a lot smarter about the stupid stuff that I normally back, mm-hmm. which is usually pretty stupid. So, um, yeah, but that's just the quick announcement. But yes, I will have probably more free time uh, for the next excellent. until I get Maybe excellent. <laughs> so anyway, Teach You. Do you want yes. to tell us all about Teach You? Or is uh, your opinion too biased for you to tell us all about no, it? No, I mean, I can tell you about Teach You. <laughs> I th- Teach is a trick-taking game, and uh, a trick-taking game if I understand correctly, because I'm usually, I mean, it was pretty much proven that I'm not good at them or really understand them all that well, uh, is where people have a hand of cards and they are trying to essentially follow a leader in some way. And the leader will put out some form of combination of cards from their hand. And uh, in Teach You specifically, you need to like, match what they're putting out in some way um but improve upon it with a higher number of card um so if you were for example to put out a single card that was like a number three card i would need to put out a single card that's higher than a three um or if you were to put out a pair of cards and you put out two fours i would need to put out two fives or above um and then at the end of people playing their Uh, hand of cards when everybody passes whoever was the last person to be able to successfully put cards out wins that trick and takes Mm -hmm. those cards into their hand and then usually at the end of each round not into their hand just to the side yes in front of them they they take them to the side in a pile and then when people are empty of cards in their hand and they have put all their cards out you will then score the cards that you have been holding on to from the tricks that you've won um Right. Feel free to jump in and if I missed anything with Tichu specifically. Oh, all I was going to say is that trick-taking games are notoriously difficult to explain if people have not played a trick-taking game. So the tri- the yes. famous trick-taking games are definitely Bridge. Bridge is the most well-known trick-taking game in the world, I would say. Um, it is just a an institution. If you know anyone over 60, they've played Bridge and probably still play Bridge like my grandmother who plays five times a day. Anyway, um, there's Bridge, there's Hearts. Um, in Australia, they have 500 is the big one. Uh, Euchre in the Midwest and in parts of Canada. That's what I played. And, I've also yeah. played Euchre before and didn't really understand it very well. I can't seem to wrap my brain around these kinds of games for some reason. Um, I know I, I mentioned when we were playing, the only one that I can seem to wrap my head around is Gorus Maximus, and I don't really know why. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because you don't have a partner. Yeah, it's possible. It's these games with partners are the they're the only other kinds of trick taking games I've played, and I don't know. It feels like there's more strategy to it versus just mm-hmm. trying to win a trick. Right, because in Teach You, you can. So in Teach You, you're playing to a thousand points, and you can get some points for some of the cards that you'll take, but you can also get points for 
running out of cards first if you call it, or if you and your partner run out of cards first and second. And the partner aspect is important because if Ben and I are partners and I call Tichu, that means I am betting 100 points that I will go out first. And it is possible for Ben to help me go out first with his card play. But since we sit across from each other, someone will always go between Ben and myself. So it's tricky to make good plays or intelligent plays or tactical plays that help out your partner. Yes. And I, it was myself and Patrick were partners. And uh, for those longtime listeners, you guys know who Patrick is. Um, and Jonah was Jonah was on the other team uh, with a friend Jake from Australia, and uh, Jake and Jonah seemed to play we a similar well. style and did very well. And I did absolutely terrible. Um, in I think four rounds, I literally scored zero points. Uh, I lost points for our team more often than I gained, and. Um, the problem was the special cards in Tichu. Uh, so at the beginning of each round, you give some cards away. So you give a card to your partner, a card to one player on the other team, and a card to the other player on the other team. And uh, I gave her, I gave away the wrong cards, basically. <laughs> right, often. and Tichu uses a standard deck of cards plus four like specialty cards. There's a dog, a bird, a phoenix, which is maybe a bird, and a dragon, which is a mythical bird. So big bird theme in the game, clearly. And uh, yeah, you have to understand how those work because there's definitely a wrinkle in that. And a complaint that I know Ben and Patrick, I think, had during our play of Tichu was how big of a factor luck can play into things. It was and, probably more me than Patrick, but mm-hmm. I, and, I I got frustrated. Let's long story <laughs> short, I got I got frustrated. No, I was I, just gonna say in our game because I actually played Tichu again uh, last night with Gemma, Jake, and Lauren, all from Australia. Uh, I was with Gemma, and Jake and Lauren were uh, quite lucky throughout the game. I think they had a full house on every hand. And in a card game where you have 14 cards that you're trying to get rid of, being able to get rid of five cards in one shot is really nice. And uh, yeah, full houses on full houses was the story of our game last night. Yeah, and the the difficulty, especially with the other team matching a full house, is that you need to beat the set of three, correct? Not the set of two. So what I mean by that is how I mentioned earlier that you need to improve upon the cards that were put out. In a full house, if someone put out three fives and two queens, you can still beat that with three sixes and two twos. But it's very difficult because you need to have a full house, but you need to have a full house that's higher. So it makes it even more difficult for your team to match and beat that Mm -hmm. uh, if they had that on almost every turn. Definitely. And sometimes you have two possible full houses and you're wondering which pair to put in you have your set of three that you know is going to beat it and you have two different pairs and i the way i play i think is i put the lower pair in because it doesn't matter right now and the higher pair might win a future trick and that actually happened to me in our game i had two really good full houses 
but the problem in our game was I think Patrick and I went first one time and I personally never went first. So this was the hand where you called Tichu and you just kept putting out single cards. Mm. So it was like chipping away at the cards in my hand and I could have passed, but then I never would have potentially won a trick and gone first. Right. So it just kept chipping away at my cards and then I, I lost out the ability to play either of my full houses because I was trying to win a trick to be able to go first and put out the full houses. Um, so, right. yeah. And, and I know I mentioned to you guys after the game, I, I never like to be like that sour player that <laughs> is all angry about a game. And I, the, my frustration got the better of me in this one because I, I was frustrated. <laughs> this was n- not my game. Well, we'll just know I, no more partner trick-taking games for you in the future. I no, look, I would try more games. I just I felt like I couldn't do anything at all and it was like frustrating me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it's I mean, I like I said, I like I always say, I would try anything. So I would try another one and I would try another game of Teach You as well. Mm-hmm. I just that one was rough. That one I mean, when you and Jake on the same team had like two nine card straights. And Patrick yeah, we and I were just nice like, what are there. we supposed to do? <laughs> to, to be fair, I think you both had those straights because I gave the Phoenix to either of you once. And the Phoenix is a wild in this game. That was all my fault, which is part of it. <laughs> I just gave away the wrong cards. Yeah. And what was funny about giving away the cards is you never know what you don't know what you're getting back. You don't look at them until you've given your cards away. It, on one hand, I gave Patrick a 10 because in this game, fives and tens score points. So I gave a 10 to my partner, hoping he would be able to make use of it. I gave him a 10. He gave me a 10. I gave Jake a six and he gave me a six back. So it was like, it feels bad to get what you gave away, right? Exactly. Because then I'm like in my head, I'm like, if I didn't give that six away, now I would have a pair and that pair could be good. So yeah, I was like, I laughed about it while it happened, but mm-hmm. oh man, it was it was not my not uh, not my day. Let's put it that way. I will yeah. say that unrelated to how I did in that game, I absolutely love Tichu. Um, I really liked Euchre when I first played it, and Euchre is the same same idea. It's a four player trick taking partner based game, but you only have a hand of five cards. And what I like about Teach You is that you have a hand of 14 cards and you, like you said, you have to pass them to the your partner and your two neighbors. And then also the additional specialty cards. I think Teach You is like Euchre meets the depth of board gaming that I like. And yeah. there's so much to think about if you want to with Teach You. And another thing that I like about partner-based trick-taking games is you can kind of be creative and there are multiple right moves, I think you could say, or it's that there are no right moves and it's just when you see what happens, you can decide if you made the smart play in retrospect. And I like games that have you think about what you did during them. And that's true even in games like uh, Avalon and Blood on the Clock Tower, which are just social deduction games. I really like games that I've said this before, that kind of tell a story. And surprisingly enough, Tichu, you know, a deck of cards does that. And you could replicate Tichu with a standard deck of cards and another deck of cards that you just 
steal four cards from and write on in Sharpie on the front, Phoenix, Dragon, Dog, Bird. And you have a, a copy of Tiju right there. Yeah. So Tiju's really fun, I think, and hopefully we can try it again sometime. Yeah, and again, I would be down to try it again. Uh, this specific round was not my round, but uh, yeah, no, I definitely see why you like it, and I definitely, I as I said, I, I've played Euchre before. Oh, oh no, we lost me. Did we lose me? No, I'm back. You're still um, here. <laughs> sorry, I clicked a button on my computer, and I lost I lost me, so I thought that we lost me. Uh, apologies, everybody. Um, I've played Euchre before, but I think that this added a layer of depth of depth on top of Euchre that I did like. Mm-hmm. So I think I definitely think if I were to play another partner trick taking game, I would try this one before I would try like Euchre again, for example. Yeah, we'll try it again someday. It's a good uh, yeah. kind of filler. It's definitely longer than Euchre because you can play Euchre in like 15 minutes, and I would say Teach You is like a 30 to 45 minute game in yeah. the real world at least. So. And you said you played it again. Did you play anything else this week? Yes. Um, so we'd had a, a double header last night, and it was Tokyo Metro into Tichu. And we've talked about Tokyo Metro the previous two weeks, so I'm not going to talk about it at all, besides saying that Gemma absolutely killed us, because <laughs> Gemma built these central stations, and then Nick... Jake and I just like started all of these other lines that just went through Gemma stations and it was basically just printing money for Gemma. And gotcha. it's not to say that Gemma did not do smart things and had agency in her win, but she was in central spots and uh yeah. Now Still a good without game. Dis- without discussing it in depth more, was this the first time that you played where you can flip the thing oh flip the Yes, we played, as far as I know, everything correctly this time. Did it, it was change really interesting. the game in a, in a big way? I think it like, affected Nick and I's... That went beyond then? Yeah, beyond the I think we had three trains go past that. Wow. Two or three. Okay. And I think it just affected Nick and I's like first turn or two strategy. But we also had... I think we used up all of the speed tokens in the game as well. So oh, like wow. I started the I train that only has nine stops, so it's gonna make a lot of trips. And I started it and then the next turn put two speed tokens in it so no one could speculate oh. and it was just so flying was back, back, and, back forth. and forth. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah, it was good again. And cool. then the game good that I wanted that to talk about. Again, yeah. Considering I'm going to end up buying it. So <laughs> definitely. And we'll play it in person on a cloth map and see how that yeah, and hopefully up. one day. Right. The other game that I played, which is a great light game that we have not mentioned on the podcast before, I think, is Silver and Gold. No, we haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah, which, which is, is surprising. Kind of surprise. yeah. yeah. So Silver and Gold is this great little quick game that is this strange board game adjacent genre of board games so there are two big new types of board games in the last five years i would say is when they've become really hugely popular and those are called roll and write games and flip and write games so a roll and write game is one where there are some dice rolled 
and everyone is going to use those numbers on their own card and it's really how well can you use those numbers so there's a great uh not flipping right there's a great roll and write game that we've played called on tour and the way on tour works is everyone has a map of the united states which has i don't know 30 circles on it maybe 50 is there one in each state it's 50 it's one per state yeah ah so there's a circle in each state and each round one person will roll these two 10-sided die and that will give you a number between zero and a hundred you know if you roll a five into two that's 52 a seven and a one 71 easy so everyone is going to write the same number on their board in a circle and then at the end of the game whoever can trace the highest number of circles going from strictly lowest to highest i don't think you can go same right you can't go like 55 to 55 it has to be strictly increasing you can't go 55 to 55 but there are like if you roll doubles if i recall correctly if you roll doubles so if both of the d10s are like fives you mm-hmm. can write a star in a oh, circle okay. and that and that's a wild and it also gives you bonus points for going through mm. so, so i think you can go like 55 to a or like 52 to a star and then to 53 and i think okay. that's a valid play if All i recall right. correctly i think so yeah so that's a roll and write and it has really gained in popularity in the last few years Go on. And the the one thing that I just want to mention really quick, I find it hysterical because people who have only like listened to podcasts and are like getting into board gaming, there was a post on Reddit where someone was literally like, who is this Roland Wright that I keep hearing about? That's why I made sure to enunciate very yeah. clearly when I first said it, roll and yeah. write. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's picked up enough traction that there's literally a roll and write game called Roland Wright. And it's a roll and write game. But I just thought that was funny, and I wanted to mention that before we moved on to flip and writes. Right, so that's roll and write, which is with dice. And a flip and write is the same idea, but instead of rolling dice, you are using a central deck of cards that has whatever you want on it, really depends on the game. And you flip the card, and whatever is on the card, everyone else has to use. And it's the same idea as the roll and write. It's just who can use these items best subject to the rules in the game. So now that roll and rights and flip and rights have been covered, I can talk about silver and gold. Silver and gold is a flip and write game where each person has two cards in front of them with basically what look like little crossword puzzles. And you're trying to cross off all the squares in each of your cards. And the way the flipping comes into effect or into play is the central deck will be flipped over. There are eight cards in the deck, and they're just eight Tetris shapes, really. And a shape will be flipped up, and then everyone has to fill that shape in on one of their cards. And if you can't fill out the whole shape, you just do one X on one of your cards. And Silver and Gold is a neat little 15, 20-minute game that... You can play with anyone, which is one thing I really like about it. We tried it at PAX Unplugged, I think, this past year or two years ago? I don't even know. It was this past year. No, it was this past year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Silver and Gold, great little game. It's like, I think we paid 20 bucks for it at the convention, which was fine. Yep. And Time blends together, by the way. So I had to think about that for a second. 
But, but yeah, I no, played it with my grandmother right on Sunday. And it's great because whenever my grandmother wants to play a game, she always says, bring something I know. And I always just bring silver and gold. And she says, oh, Jonah, I like playing games together. And this game is so fun. Let's play games that I know how to play. And I'm just like, okay, so two games, but sure. So Is this the same grandmother who plays bridge all the time? Yes, this is the grandmother who plays bridge all the time. But I refuse to play bridge due to a personal idea about conventions and stuff. But we don't need to get into that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yes, I also have silver and gold, um, and I've I've played it with my family as well, and and they like it. My family are not big gamers, so it it's nice to play a game that's easy to teach. But at the same time, my family's usually like a one off in terms of like they'll try this game and say, "Oh, that was fun," and then mm-hmm. go back to like Scrabble or Yahtzee. Like the only the only games that have con- stayed consistent with my family are uh, recently Rummy Cube because my aunt has moved down from That's Long Island to Florida and brought her set of Rummy Cube. Uh, so we've been playing that a lot. Uh, Yahtzee, which has always been a thing. And my mom and my brother play Scrabble like every day. So that's really it. Other than that, it's like they'll try a game and they'll be like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. My, I would say, funny enough, I would say that if anybody's going to play more games in my family, it's going to be my dad. He seems to have the widest um, palette like, range of themes that he enjoys. Mm-hmm. So, like the fact that there's all these games that can fit into a theme he might enjoy. Like, I really want to try Undaunted with him, and he's driving me back to New Jersey this coming weekend, and I'm bringing Undaunted Normandy with me. So he's going to be up there for like a couple of days. So I'm hoping maybe we can get a get a game in when we're up there. Are you doing that drive in one day? Because that's a schlep. Yeah. So, well, here's the thing, and I'm going to sound very spoiled here. Uh, my mom and my dad are both driving back because my, my, pretty much my entire family is in New Jersey, so my dad would feel bad if my mom and I were the only ones who went back and he didn't go back to see people for a bit. So I'm probably going to sleep in the back of the car, and they're probably going to switch off driving. So, you know, it is what it is. Fortunate son. Yeah, that's me. But uh, yeah, so we're doing that drive back and hopefully I can play some games with my dad. Uh, And again, I have way more games in New Jersey than I have down here in Florida. So if I wanted to try something, uh, I'm more likely to have something there than here. But yeah, fun little background about my family (laughs) and and their lack of affinity toward board gaming. It'll inform all future episodes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben, it is time for Ben's backings bye-bye. Yep. Potentially. Uh, and I just I just want to lead real quick because I can't I can't truly can't tell if it's being picked up or not. Um it is championship Sunday for golf. Uh and my brother bets on golf, so he might be screaming in the background if like a big putt happens. So just if you hear random screaming in the background, is he gonna scream Baba Booey? No, or get he in the hole. Scream. Well, he doesn't scream that. He mostly just calls the players idiots for not making putts and things like that. But uh, if you hear some screaming, just know it's... It's, it's important stuff happening back there. Yeah, I guess. Um, okay, so uh, on to my backings. Um, not too much. Again, I, I did back out of a few things just because of the 
uh, job situation, but a few nice updates that I would like to bring up. Um, the game Title Blades that funded in November of 2018 that I've been waiting on since then is uh, finally getting palletized to be shipped from China to the U.S. All right. Uh, I remember seeing I'm that really, at PAX in 2018. Yeah, and I played it. And to be honest, I'm really happy that I backed it. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one unfortunate thing for me, as I've said about my family, is especially my brother, when there's a lot of components, he gets turned off of a game sometimes because it scares him. And there are a lot of components, but it's not mm-hmm. a difficult game. So I'm hoping maybe I can get him to try it. But it, it's very pretty. It's It's a really nice looking game. And they've done a really good job with the game but the communication on the kickstarter has been a bit lacking like they they do a a pet peeve of mine is when companies do updates or mini updates in the comments section Mm -hmm. instead of sending out an actual update and they seem to do most of their like mini updates in the comments so they're like oh there was a slight issue with our main boxes that we were going to ship the games in So like some of the corners were getting dented. So we've just improved our mailing boxes. But they said that in the comments like two weeks ago or three weeks ago and just put out an update yesterday mentioning it. And people were not happy because they don't read the comments all the time. Right. The issue I think that you're getting at here is that you don't get pinged for comments on the Kickstarter because Kickstarters can have, you know, 10,000 comments on them. It's just the the updates get sent out to all the backers by email. So, yeah, exactly. no one wants to have to monitor a comment section on a Kickstarter every day, a year and a half exactly. after they backed it. 100%. Now, the fun part about it is when games are that much delayed, you get some fun drama in the comments if you like that stuff. Um, and one of those games that has some drama in the comments, but also at the same time, I'm going to mention because we're getting very close to shipping, is the second wave of Black Rose Wars. Um, Black Rose Wars is a really cool um, area control uh, dueling game, I guess you can call it. It's a little difficult to categorize because there's a lot of mechanics within this game. Um, but it's it's very pretty, very big, and the gigantic stretch goal box is what we're waiting on now. So like the base game has been delivered for, I've had it probably for a year now, mm-hmm. um, but we're now about a year late on the stretch goal box and they did some meh stuff uh aka they asked backers for more money to help ship the stretch goal box because of in their opinion they said it was covid in their in their words um which is a little weird because they spent the entire beginning of this year saying covid wasn't affecting anything for them right and normally on kickstarters you blame everything on Chinese New Year. So yep. everything is manufactured in China, just like everything else in the world, it would seem. And with Kickstarter, since games always take a year, at least, or around, that's always going to pass through Chinese New Year. And during Chinese New Year, all the factories in China shut down for like a month and a half, two months maybe. And it is very easy to have any other type of delay (laughs) and say, oh, uh, Chinese New Year took us by surprise, so we have a delay. And what Ben is getting at here is the new hip thing to blame stuff on, which, you know, can be a very valid thing and actually affect people 
is COVID. Yeah. And my, my issue, and I don't have an issue with companies saying, hey, COVID, you know, slowed down shipping. There's a backlog at factories because there is. Right. Yet there's no, there's there no way around There is a global that. pandemic that no one expected. Exactly. And they are starting to get back to like normal capacity at factories in China, but there isn't it's a miracle cure and they are not at full capacity yet. So I understand. However, where I get annoyed is the reason this game has even been affected by COVID is because Ludus Magnus Studios, the company that ran this Kickstarter, has been putting in so much feature creep into their stretch goal box and just adding more and more crap. And I'm going to say crap because I have no idea how it plays because they just <laughs> keep adding stuff. And they keep adding stuff and adding stuff and they keep saying, oh, there was an issue with this. There was an issue with that. It's their own fault that it got delayed into a position where it could even be affected by COVID. It should have delivered a year ago. But now they're affected by COVID and they decided to say, hey, we financially cannot ship your games unless you pay us 15 more dollars. So they were like, if you, sh if you pay us 15 more dollars we will ship your games earlier than if you don't. So me, just wanting to get over, get this whole process over with, I paid them $15. It's great because they said fallacy and extortion in one go. Yes. And the thing is, they said in their updates that if you don't pay these this $15, it could be months before they ship your game, like the second half of your game, which we paid for already. So I'm like, okay, I just want to get my game and be done with it. Now... They're coming back and saying we're gonna sh we're gonna ship games starting with people who participated in the they called it a call to arms, which I find ridiculous. Oh, man. Yeah, so they're like we're gonna start with that, followed up by the people who did not, which in my head makes it sound like they're gonna just immediately start flowing into people who didn't pay. So like they were essentially using this like fear fear mongering tactic, in my opinion, to try and convince people to pay them fifteen more dollars. Which I stupidly did, but at the same time, if I get my game early and I don't have to actually wait months and months, I'll be fine with it. But I just, I can't deal with, like, that is a mm -hmm. Kickstarter no-no for me. And Ludus Magnus is officially on my no-back list from now on. Um, so that's fun. Uh, and then the other the other one that I just want to mention is uh, Windward. I haven't talked about Windward yet, but I think I've mentioned it to you mm -hmm. once or twice, Jonah. This is the one, um, there was a tiny bit of controversy around it because it's essentially about whaling. Um, yep. And you're like hunting whales. It's like alternate universe flying monsters, yes. but it's thinly veiled whaling. Yes. So it's, it's um, you're hunting like sky whales. So you're like floating on the clouds and it, it it has this neat mechanic where every turn the, the direction of the wind will change and it affects how you can move throughout the board. Um, but what I thought was cool was this company is um, very responsive in their other campaigns as well to backer feedback. So they've actually added like an environmentalist character that tries to save the whales instead of hunting them. Um, and it, it looks like it's a cool addition to the game in general um but the big update for this one is i actually got my tracking number and it's moving um so this one should be delivered on saturday when i get home so excellent uh yeah so i'm looking forward to that uh, and then the the last the last thing i want to mention because i'm a i'm a compulsive sleever 
Uh, I have about 5,000 more Paladin sleeves that are shipping now from their latest Kickstarter. What do you mean by Paladin sleeves? uh, Paladin is a brand of sleeves uh, and card sleeves. If you don't know anything about like board gaming or card sleeves or collecting cards or anything, they're literally just these little thin plastic sleeves that you slide your cards into. Um, But they can get pretty expensive if you're buying them in like one-off packs. So this company Paladin makes these really good sleeves. I like them a lot. Um, but they they run Kickstarters and you buy them in bulk, like crazy bulk. So I bought like five thousand sleeves and it cost me like one hundred thirty five dollars or like one hundred seventy five dollars, which sounds like a lot. But when you consider each pack of sleeves, if you buy them individually, is like three dollars, mm-hmm. and there's fifty sleeves in a pack, it's kind of crazy. So it's a really good value. Yeah, bulk and, purchasing for sure. Yeah, the the issue with paladin that i have is they're literally just producing sleeves and it i find it wild that it takes a year to produce and deliver sleeves right um so the problem is i have to keep a spreadsheet and again i'm a compulsive sleever so this is normal for me but not for others i keep a spreadsheet of games that i have to sleeve and how many sleeves i need for said games so i know what games i'm buying these for but there's like a strong chance that i will buy specialized sizes for a game that i might sell before paladin delivers their sleeves Mm -hmm. like there's there's that much of a delay but in any case their sleeves are delivering tuesday to my house so there's going to be a big box waiting for me again um and it's eight and a half pounds of plastic card sleeves so that's going to be fun uh but yeah that's my um big kickstarter update probably the last big kickstarter update (laughs) for a little while but i will keep people updated on how my Backed projects are moving along because I do have plenty of backed projects. Yeah. I'll just comment quickly on one of mine. Uh, Public Market, a game I mentioned a while ago that has the polyomino um, fish bucket filling and the, uh, or maybe it was a cooler and the contract fulfillment. Anyway, they are doing some play tests with the designers on Tabletop Simulator. So I might try and sign up for one of those next sunday we'll see if there's space yeah. they have like three time slots open for 12 people total to play this uh play test with the designers and you know i don't know if i personally am going to beat out 2000 other people for one of these spots so yeah and and this is something that i've i just to add that i've seen kickstarter creators have been doing with what's going on and it's a pretty neat system i think of a way to allow people to try the game, especially uh, those who are like interested in learning the game, because a few games I've backed, for example, Mind Management, um, spelled Mind MGMT, uh, is like a hidden movement game. And the designers are, they host games on Tabletop Simulator to play with backers as well. Um, and I think it's a really cool thing that these designers are doing. I mm-hmm. think it's a good way to learn the game and also a good way to keep up excitement, I think, throughout the long production process of most Kickstarter games. Right. Some other Kickstarters that do and don't have these playtests will also have playthroughs that they'll record and put up on YouTube or Twitch, do a live stream on Twitch where you can talk to the people as they're playing it. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of good resources for keeping um, backers busy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. And... uh... I uh, 
just one really quick bit to note is there are also Kickstarters who don't keep their backers busy. Um, and as I mentioned, communication is key because there, uh, you remember the Ever Rain, Jonah, that I wanted to see so badly at PAX for the last two years? Yes. Uh, I finally did see it at PAX this past year. I got to like watch a playthrough of it and it looks great. But they literally, in I think a year and a half, maybe two years, have not put up a playthrough video Oof. that people have been begging them for. And it's actually kind of ridiculous. Like if I didn't see it in person, I would be super worried about this game. But I just I got lucky enough to be able to attend a convention mm -hmm. and see it in person. But yeah, that's that's a whole nother thing is uh, communication on Kickstarter. But I just right I do like when when companies interact with their uh, backers and put up all these videos and stuff. I think it's a really good move. Yeah, hell hath no fury like a backer's scorn is I think the uh, actual good, saying. Good God, it's it's the truth. It is the truth. The game of the week this week is Anachrony by Mind Clash Games or Mind Clash Studios. I forgot already. It's Mind Clash Games. Right? But and I only know that because I say MCG ah. instead of... MCS. Maybe I was looking at their Kickstarter and saw studios. Anyway, Anachrony by Mind Clash Games. And Anachrony is a worker placement game that involves time travel. So this game takes place in the future where we have exosuits and time travel capabilities and a meteor hits the planet and you play four rounds before the meteor strike and then the final up to three rounds, you have to try and escape the planet. And the order in which you escape the dying planet matters for getting points. And in the game, you have exosuits to power up and a personal board to place your workers on. So it has a good mix of locations to pay attention to. And the other really nice thing about Anachrony is that it has different types of workers. So normally when we talk about worker placements, like we talked about Bus, we've mentioned Solkeen and several others, you have a bunch of workers, but there's only one type of worker. And all of your pawns are just the same pawn. In Anachrony, that is different, and there are four different types of workers. There is the administrator, the engineer, the scientist, and the genius, which can work as any of those other three. And then on the main board, where you will go to with your powered-up exosuits, there are different spots that certain workers can go to, certain workers can't go to, and additionally, certain workers get better stuff from. For instance, there is a spot where you can get water, which is a resource in the game. A scientist will get you more water. There is a spot where you can recruit more workers. An engineer can't recruit a genius. A scientist can't recruit an engineer, or a scientist can't go there. What matters is different types of workers can do different things in different spots on the board. And that is my quick summary of Anachrony. And Ben, what do you think about Anachrony? Uh, I absolutely love this game. Um... This is, again, I don't have a top game 
but I have like a rotating top five, I think is probably the best way to describe my ranking of games. This one has been in my top five since I first played it. Um, and it's kind of nuts that Mind Clash Games has two games in my top five um, in Tricarian and and this. And I love the combination of playing on your own player board and playing out on the main board and the abilities that that gives you to string different things together. Um, as you mentioned, you need to power up exosuits to be able to go out onto the main board, but you don't need to power up exosuits to send people onto your own player board to do various actions. So, right, it's kind of like ahead. your player board is the ship, and you have all these yeah, machines that you're building in your ship, and your yep. people are already living on the ship, and they can just go operate this machine. But yep. then, otherwise, if they want to do stuff out on the planet, they need a big suit to do so. Yep, and I think. The the ability to think ahead on how many exosuits that you think you're going to need versus how many people you're going to send onto your own player board ship area is um, it's a really neat part of the game for me because beyond a certain number of exosuits, you have to pay to power up more of them. So everybody gets, and I'm going to talk from the symmetrical side right because there's asymmetry um, in this game which i was going to mention in a minute so go on yep so talking about the symmetrical side which uh, jonah will talk about the asymmetrical side in a minute uh you can get three free exosuits to power up anything beyond that costs an energy core which is another resource in the game to power up now if you don't power up extra suits you get water for each one that you don't power up um and i think the tie-in for how many workers you have available how many suits you might think you need to power up for that turn and where you actually place the workers it all kind of ties in together in in a really neat way because before you even start assigning workers you can choose to warp things back to yourself from the future, which is part of the time travel aspect of this game. And it's it's kind of like there are so many things to plan for on a turn, but they tie together in a, in a really neat thematic way for me that it just kind of makes sense. Um, I don't personally ever feel like overwhelmed with the choices that I have, which I know can happen in some other games. Mm -hmm. Um and I just I think that the idea of sending people out onto the main board versus onto your own board and having to plan around that from the start of the turn on uh, makes this one a really cool puzzle for me to solve, and I I like it. Yeah, uh, I just want to talk about the integration of the theme and the mechanics really quickly. Uh, I am a believer that it works really well in this game. There is a perfectly valid criticism, which I'll talk about in a moment. But like I was saying, this is a game about time travel. And at the start of each turn, you can warp resources into the present. So if you say, oh, I need some neutronium this turn and I don't have any, you can just make some appear through a portal from the future, which is really neat. But then later on in the game, you have to build a time machine and send that resource back to yourself. It's kind of like in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, how they're wondering where they put the cell phone, where they put the cell phone or the hammer, who knows? They're wondering where they put something. And they say, Oh, I know, it's behind this bush. 
And sure enough, it is. And then they say, let's remember later to put that back here before we came here. So it's that sort of system in this. You have to, you can just warp something to the present, but you have to make a time machine and send it back on a later turn or else you will create a paradox. And if you create too many paradoxes, you create an anomaly, I'm quite sure. Yes. I think it's three, but it changes yep. based on the faction. So I think that the theme works really well with the mechanics and it really enriches the gameplay for me. The criticism to this time travel theme that is totally valid is that it's basically a loan. You're taking a yep. loan out of a bank it's just a loan. and it's you're just a loan paying system. it back later. But yep. I think using time machines and warping stuff to the present sounds cool and it works well in the game. Yep. And then just um, go on. Yeah. No, I was going to say in before we get into the asymmetry, a little bit more about the game in general is there are we've mentioned your own player board now, but you can build buildings to place on your player board and that is how you build a time machine um, you can build things that will generate water for you etc i think just really quickly i'd like to get into like one of my personal criticisms for the game mm -hmm. and that would be that there are so many buildings that you can build but you can't build whatever you want you have to build what is visible in the stack so you stack the buildings on the side of the board and there are a lot of buildings. Right. But there might be something really good that shows up after you buy your building. And I know that that's just, that happens in a lot of games. I just, I find that with all those options, I would like to just kind of sometimes be able to pay a little more to like choose a building or have some sort of mechanic where you can search through the pile to build a building of your choice. Right. You don't have the agency and, that you would want on some of the decisions in the game. Exactly. And it always feels bad to do something and then something better gets revealed or something that you want more gets revealed. Yeah. So Yep. Yeah, so I, I think if there was some sort of mechanic to get a little more agency and pick your building, even if it costs more, I think that would be nice. Um, but I don't think it ruins the game in mm -hmm. any way. It just, it's just a personal thing for me. Right. All right, I'll talk about asymmetry for those who don't know. <clears throat> Asymmetry in board games just means that people have different player powers. So in Monopoly, a game everyone knows, if you are playing as the silver hat or as the little toy car, there's no difference. You're still both rolling 2d6 and then moving and making decisions. But a game with asymmetry, uh, for Monopoly, let's just say, one, one person could be rolling 2d6 Another person could roll one 12-sided die instead of two six-sided die, which, believe it or not, there is a difference in the average outcome between two d6 and one d12. So in Anachrony, the asymmetry, asymmetry comes from the different factions that you can play as. And each faction, there are four factions, each faction has two leaders that have different abilities as well. So each faction has a main player board, which is double-sided, Side A is the same for all four factions. Side B is different for each faction, and it plays to that faction's strengths. So one of the factions is really good with water, so the costs will be switched to be more friendly to someone who has a lot of water, whereas another faction might work really well with the science buildings, 
So they have a power that lets them send out a an exosuit without a worker in it, and it is treated as a science worker, a scientist. So that is where the asymmetry comes into anachrony. I and Ben, I know, and many people are big fans of asymmetry in board games, and the main draw to asymmetry in board games is it adds replayability. Because while your strategies for the same game can change a little bit without asymmetry, with asymmetry, you're playing as a different character with different powers and seeing new stuff in the game. So you really see a different game each time you play it. And that's why asymmetry is a huge thing in board games nowadays. Yep. And on the topic of replayability, something that is... um... It's present across all of Mind Clash games at this point. Is um, they're somewhat modular, right. um, so the core game of Anachrony is the core game, and that is what we've played so far. Um, but there are modules or expansions that you can add on for their games. So for Anachrony, there's the Doomsday module, which adds. Um, various cards that may change what happens after the meteor hits. There's the council. Um, I don't remember the exact name of it, but what's neat about that is you can kind of go out to the council and recruit more exosuits, but the exosuits have various abilities that you see once you reveal them, so you can like pick which one you want. Right. Um, and then just to bring it back to being across multiple Mind Clash games, like Tricarian has the Dark Alley expansion, which is on the other side of the board, so you can choose which you'd like to play. And they just added, in a recent Kickstarter, Dalgard's Academy, and Dalgard is the main magician in the Tricarian universe, and that is like adds that adds a solo mode. It also adds like a full extra building that you can go to with your workers to learn like new tricks and teach new tricks and things like that. So mind clash is really uh, into that as well. So the replayability aspect of their games, in my opinion, is pretty high because like I said, Jonah and I haven't even played any of the anachrony modules yet. I'd like to uh, at some point, but we haven't even tried those yet. So there's more to more to see. Yeah. And that touches on something I really like about anachrony and also all of mind clash games games there is so much game in the box so with the asymmetry and the different faction types and leaders you have so much replayability but then you take that asymmetry and add two different modules and there's just so much game to explore in the box and mind clash games makes games that take up like a table and a half which is I was literally about to say to there's so yeah I was just about to say there's so much game in the box but that also means that there's so much game on the table yeah it's, so you know crazy. the each player board in anachrony has to be eight inches by a foot it's got to be it's, it it almost feels like a board game board in itself right so you have four of those on the table you have the main board you have six tall exosuit minis for each player you have uh track of timeline tiles below the board you have something laid on top of the board so 
you know, then you have the super projects under those exactly. timeline tiles. You have the leader tiles that are set off to the side of your player board. There's a lot on the table. Right. You need room for these games. It's a valid complaint if you don't have a giant table. Yep. It's a valid complaint even if you do have a giant table because it just takes up so much space. But I think the game is worth it to use up an entire table. Same. I agree. And I mean, when the expansion comes in the, what is it, the infinity box or something like so, that, yeah. it's it's going to double the depth of the box. So it's going to take up even more room. It's going to be gigantic. Yeah. And I'm going to love every second of it. I can't wait. I literally can't wait for this game to, the expansion for this game to come in. Is that end of this year still? For everything I've seen seems to show like end of September into October, but. We haven't heard in a little while, so hopefully we'll get an update kind of mm-hmm. soon. But yeah. All right. Any negative negatives? Things uh, you truly not, don't like about the game? A couple things. There, I don't. I wouldn't call them negative negatives, but there are a couple things that I can pick on. Mm-hmm. One of them being, especially like this one's probably more for you, but the the cubes that they use are not great for colorblindness. Yeah. They do have cardboard tokens that have like line patterns on them, but they don't look great. And I, I mean, for me personally, as somebody who is not colorblind, I find it difficult to like use the lines on the cubes to tell the difference. Personally, I don't know if it's just something you're kind of used to at this point, uh, to see like the difference in patterns, but, um, I will say the the metal cubes that they keep showing off for the new expansion look unbelievable because they have the texture built into the cubes. Um, so I think that'll fix that issue mostly. Um, the, the other thing for me, and I've seen it posted online, and I think it's a valid criticism, is the buildings might be too important to the game. And it's basically a race to just build the most buildings. Um, because the buildings are very powerful and the building slots, there are only two worker positions, depending on how many players you play with. There's only a couple of worker positions to build buildings. Um, and they affect a lot of things in the game. So the time machines, depending on which one you have available to build, will allow you to send things further back in time versus other buildings which may only go back in time one one timeline tile Mm -hmm. so the buildings can sway the game quite a bit and i think that that is a valid complaint about the game yeah Um, but that's really it for me i also think that one thing that was definitely an intentional design decision can sometimes feel bad just for playing board games together is when the meteor or comet meteor yeah when it Mm -hmm. hits the planet and stuff hits the fan and people are trying to leave the planet you know the end game conditions make it so one person can be playing an extra round than someone else yeah and while there is a point penalty for evacuating later someone can just kind of not choose an action to delay the game after you have already evacuated. Yeah. And then you just 
watch someone score more points. And that doesn't happen often. And there are plenty of other games where you do this to yourself. And I will always, always choose self-player elimination over other player elimination, just like in bus where you can use up all your workers and sit out. But it still, I think the amount of time that a round or two in anachrony can take makes that feel bad sometimes. Because in bus, you sit out of the game for like five minutes and you're like, oh, whatever. Yep. And I, w- I, would, ag- I would agree with that too. There, there have been moments where I've purposely exited first or escaped the planet first because I don't want to lose those three points. And three points doesn't sound like a lot, but it could be. Right. Um, most of I my games. I think you and I had a game where you close. won by one point. Yeah, but I won by one point because I didn't tell you something. I think. I think <laughs> I, if I if I recall correctly, it, I don't think it was a rules thing, but I think I I am a talker, so I tend to talk through things at the end, and inevitably I end up giving somebody a strategy to use, and it feels bad for other people and myself when I end up losing that way. Um, and I think there was like a strategy that I saw that I that I didn't tell you like might have been a th- like a valid strategy if I recall correctly and I ended up winning by one point and you know it my happens, feelings weren't I hurt guess, by it but yeah more of the story three points gonna, can be a lot yeah I was gonna say three points can be a lot but at the same time if if losing those three points means that you can gain 20 points by fulfilling your end game condition it's it's worth it but to fulfill that end game condition like you said it might be like a 10 minute round that you have to maneuver through while everybody else is done. Right. So it can definitely add a uh, a bit of, you know, sitting around for some people. Yeah. Um, and Anachrony, this is not a negative for Anachrony, but it is a game where this can happen. Um, anachrony can be slowed down a lot at the end because there are so many choices for each player. And what board gamers like to do, what everyone likes to do, really, is something called min-maxing, which is, you know, I can do this, 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 which will get me 7 points, 2 points, 5 points, 6 points, or I can do that, 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 which will get me 4 points, 6 points, 2 points, and maybe 9 points. And then you think, okay, which of these two is higher? Which of these routes is more likely? And people just kind of freeze and think a lot. And this happens in... Tons of games. It happens in games that I love, including Anachrony. But it is something to be aware of that the final rounds can get slowed down a fair bit. Yep, agreed. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing that I like a lot in Anachrony is the different types of workers. I really like that twist on the mechanic. So, Ben, why don't we talk about some other games that do that and why we might like that more than standard one type of worker sure um i've mentioned it already but tricarian another mind clash games game uh one of my favorites that uh that has different types of workers and uh i think that one has assistants that you can bring in so like you can hire an engineer uh an assistant and oh what is the other one i actually don't think, and this could be because I'm misremembering the game, mm-hmm. I don't think Tricarion counts as different types of workers because, and I wrote this down, 
I said I would omit Dracarion because it's the action points that are different and it's quantitative versus qualitative. Doing different things versus more of the same thing. So okay. in anatomy, a scientist and an engineer actually do different things in different spots. Whereas in Tricarion, a magician just has plus three under it and an assistant just has plus one under it. So it's the same type of worker, just more points to spend. I Now that you mention it, I actually agree with that. The only one that I would say is different is the magician because they're the only one that can perform right. at the theater. But that, I mean, that's thematically appropriate. That's right. not so it, That's not a different worker. I guess it skirts into the definition just barely because of the magician. Yeah. But, and I guess along those lines, another one is viticulture, which I was going to bring up. Mm-hmm. And viticulture has the big worker, the grande worker is what they call it. And it's, it is a, a normal worker. But the difference is it can skirt the rules a little bit in that if a location is taken by an opponent, the grande worker can still go to that location and take the action that is at mm-hmm. that location. That would so count I, for me. I guess it's similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another big one that uses it is Argent in the Consortium. Which is a. I want to play this so badly. Yeah, you'll have to get after Greg and Patrick. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Arjun the Consortium is a neat game where you are working at a school for wizards, for magicians. It's just like kind of, this is a very reductive definition, but it's basically anime Hogwarts. Yeah, that's level ninety nine games for you. Yeah, that's like all their all their games are like anime style games. So yeah, makes sense. But in Arjun the Consortium, you have different types of workers, and where they go, they can do different things. So you have a red worker, a yellow worker, a black worker, a blue worker, and you'll start with only your color worker plus I think one other one, and then the different abilities of these workers. You know, they can be played super quickly on someone else's turn or they can kick someone else out of a spot. So I think Argent the Consortium uses this different type of worker thing well, definitely. And uh, in terms of one thing that I wanted to bring up in terms of like the the kick out bit that you just mentioned, I think another one that could fit is um, the Gallerist. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gallerist is a Vital Lacerda game that I love. I don't think you've played it yet, but I've been hounding you and Patrick to play it with me for a while now. Um, they have a a main worker, which is like your player pawn, and they have assistants that you can bring in throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And if I recall correctly, there is a, there is what's called a kickout action that you can take. So basically, if you put your main pawn on a location it will kick out an assistant but that assistant gets an action because they've been kicked out of that location but if your pawn is kicked out it does not get a kick out action Mm -hmm. it is just moved back to your hand to be able to place on the next turn um and it is a pretty cool mechanic in the game that i i think i think you'll like personally when you play it um but I think I think that loosely fits the definition. But that um, that was one that I I had noted down before we started the discussion right. about something that might have a possible difference in worker types. Yeah, and we actually touched on this a few weeks ago when we talked about Raiders of the North Sea and mm-hmm. architects. So Raiders of the North Sea has a black, white, and gray worker types in it. And yeah, that works too. The yeah, they can go different places and get different 
rewards based on which kind they are. There's actually a lot more games that use this than I ever thought. Like, right. I I was like, no, it's just worker placement. But then you realize like a lot of these games might have different workers that can do different things, and I think that's pretty neat. So what do you think of the mechanic itself? Compared to really, base worker placement, I guess, is what we have to do. So now, now that I'm thinking about it more, I really like it as a play on worker placement because I think it adds to that replayability factor. Right. Because you have the base worker placement mechanic, which is present throughout the game, but instead of just having to plan for like, oh, I just want to go take this action. Okay, so I'm going to go take this action. You'd be like, well, I could take that action or this worker that I have could take another action that I wasn't able to take before that could give me a way bigger bonus, but it might give a benefit to my opponent in some way. So like there's that risk-reward trade-off, but I think it it adds to that rape replayability. And I, the only reason I said that risk-reward because I was thinking about it in terms of like raiders um, and how you can pick up the worker that I have placed down. Right. But um, I think in, in general, I think it adds a good bit of of strategy and replayability to most worker placement games. Yeah, one uh, a thought that I just had right now to kind of tie it back to Anachrony and other games that we like, having different worker types, you know, in a normal worker placement game, if I have three workers and you have three workers, what's the difference between what we're doing? Um, yep. With the different worker types, it's kind of like a build your own asymmetry. So if I have, like with Anachrony, if I have two admins and one scientist and you have three engineers, you know, the things that we can do are totally different, even though we have the same number of workers. Yeah. So I think in a lot of these other games, it's really nice to be able to get different types of workers. And then knowing, you know, if I know that you have an engineer, that can affect what I do. Whereas if I only know you have one bland worker there are tons of possibilities to think about yep and that was actually the specific uh planning for your opponent's moves was actually a specific thought i had um while you were talking about it like in terms of anachrony like you might have one genius but notice that i have an engineer so you might throw your genius into the mining action to take something that would benefit me like to take that action as an engineer because you know I have an engineer. Right. So instead of allowing me to go there first and get the benefit of choosing what material I want to uh, mine as a resource, you could put your genius there and do it first by using your one genius as an engineer. So you can really plan around what I'm doing um, a little differently. Yeah. it. I think it's really great because it definitely adds to the player interaction. It adds asymmetry and player interaction, which are two huge things in board games these days. But I will also say that the caveat to that is it does add some analysis paralysis because it is another entire layer of thinking to every turn of yours. It's not just, where can I send my workers? It's, where can I send this type of worker where can I send this type of worker? I think most mechanics will have a con that it could potentially add to analysis paralysis right. when it comes to board games. I think that's a very common uh, negative of many different board game mechanics. Of course. because It also depends on who you're playing with. Right. I mean, the more mechanics you add, the more complex the game gets. So, But I just think compared yeah. to 
base worker placement, it's like a guaranteed addition think... of complexity. Yeah, I, but I think for me, the trade-off from the games I've played that use different types of workers, I think the trade-off is worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just adds an element to the game that um, it adds an element to the game that makes it a little more challenging, but also giving it a little more depth and replayability. Yeah, I really like it. And, you know, Anachrony, really cool. Argent the Consortium, really cool. You like yeah, the Galarist, you like um, Viticulture, so. Yeah, I haven't played Viticulture in a while, but I I do remember that the, the Grande Worker was like a big uh, a big thing in the game because the ability to get around a blocked space in a worker placement game is huge. Is huge. Right. So, you know, it, it's definitely uh, an interesting addition to a, an otherwise standard worker placement uh, mechanic. That about does it for us today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, as always, to Louisa for the excellent music throughout, and we will see you all next week. Have a good one.